It's happening again. It always happens at night. It's dark, and you're in your own warm bed. Everything is quiet and still, or so it seems. Those whispers you just heard? Was that a footstep or just the house settling? All you want is to sleep, but you can't surrender. It's right there. All you have to do is close your eyes and sleep will do the rest, but you can't. You can't close your eyes because you know it's watching you. You know that it won't move so long as you're looking, but let your guard down and it's all over. You'll just try it for a second. Nope, too scary. Your eyes begin to feel heavy and things begin to fade into the slow motion, misty dance of sleep. It's okay. You can let it happen. It'll all be better when the sun comes up. That's right. Don't worry about a thing. <gasps> You're awake. You don't know how or why, but you are. On go the lights. You call your mom and dad. You are scared. Scared is not the right word. You are terrified of what? You don't know if you can say. It sounds silly now. But you explain anyway. It's just a toy, they soothe. It can't hurt you. And you almost believe them. But then, the lights go out again. The whispers rise from the floorboards and you feel those eyes upon you. It is then that you begin to think, maybe they're wrong. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. When you were like, <gasps> yeah, <laughs> you got a jump scare in that you one. Did. Yeah, I can always tell by your "I'm Leslie" if you are scared. Like I'm opening. super unsure. Yeah, when you go, "I'm Leslie," <laughs> like okay, that was a good one. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, freaked you out. Sure did. Hey, fiends. Uh, thank you, guys, first of all, for all the responses about less, last week's episode on Vanessa Guillen. Leslie and I both felt really passionately about the subject matter, and we were really happy to be able to engage so many of you, or even to create a safe space where cases like Vanessa's can be discussed openly, because they should be. And we should all be furious and sad and shouting it from the rooftops. So um, ongoing discussions about that are totally welcome, and I was really, I just can't say it enough. I was so glad to hear people, like wanting to say things about it. Yeah, same. Me too. It was uh, some good discussions this week. Absolutely. And that's the kind of like always our goal. I always want people to want to talk about what we're saying afterwards and to keep it going. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's why we're doing the podcast because we want to talk about it. Totally. And why we have a Facebook group. I can't speak. Facebook group. <laughs> Join our Facebook group. It's really fun. Talk and to us. Yeah, please. Keep us company. <laughs> um, 
Just a little tiny bit of business before we jump into today's episode, which will be a bit lighter than last week's, to balance things out for everyone. We like to mix the silly and the spooky with the serious so that nobody gets emotionally exhausted, us included. Yes, but I I would like to sleep tonight. Uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> this this past was it this past week that we were telling ghost stories in a private chat on Facebook oh, and you it, just like couldn't hack it. It was the worst. I woke up twice like screaming bloody murder so thinking somebody was standing in my room. Poor Leslie. We <laughs> we scared her too much. The hat man. Okay, well I had nothing to do with it, but I facilitated the conversation. You did. You egged it on. I did egg it on. But you know what? It was a pretty cool discussion. And it's going to lead to some really cool creative things with some really cool creative people that you guys will get to see in due time. So so it was all worth yeah, it. Totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was worth it for me. Yeah. Maybe not for Leslie. <laughs> all right. Uh, so first up, I spent the past week as I have talked about a million times before, taking an amazing forensic psychology webinar with Dr. Robert Mann called Bare Bones with Bob, and it was awesome. Love Bob. Oh, my God. First of all, <laughs> he is great. And the webinar was so cool and informative, and I was telling Leslie before we started, I was like the only person in it that wasn't a med student or a doctor or an anthropologist or a pathologist. <laughs> They all had this like wonderful, useful information about their doctoral studies. And I was like, I host a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But nobody, nobody was reacted poorly to that. Everyone was very, very nice. And I learned, um, I learned a lot. It was very engaging and accessible. Dr. Mann has worked on some pretty high profile cases. And when he said he worked on Jeffrey Dahmer's first victim, I just like blacked out real fast. (laughs) Were you like, well, we're divorcing? (laughs) Like I'm your biggest fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh, and I live. I was the f- person who lived the farthest away in the continental United States. So I won a copy of his book, and I'm very excited. That uh, they were probably so pissed. They were like, "This mom who loves murders, this like stupid podcaster <laughs> won the book." I'm like I don't care, you guys. I love it. It's called Forensic <laughs> Detective. You should all buy it. It looks amazing. Yeah. I'm gonna read it asap. Love it. Yeah, super good. So, um. Take Dr. Mann's classes and read his books and just generally support him because he's a super cool dude. And also, I very much want him to be a guest on this podcast one day. So um, tell him I sent you and go be his biggest fan. Um, Second, we have officially transferred the audio of our Campfire Stories over to Patreon. So if you want to be able to listen to those extra episodes like you listen to this main podcast, head on over to Patreon and support We Would Be Dead. With just a little monthly donation, you get some awesome extra content, invitations to our field trips, and some nice little prizes that are coming eventually, we swear. Campfire Stories will still happen live once a month, and if you watch 10 o'clock on that particular Friday, you get it for free. And the videos stay up for a little while, like... I feel like you can watch the video, but it's much more accessible on audio. And if you want that, you got to be a patron. So, just saying. Uh, Eventually, the videos will be gone, too. So, get it while you can. So, keep your eyes open for August's date. Um, Also, you can support We Would Be Dead by heading over to our Apple Podcast page and leaving us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. I may have mentioned it like once or twice before, but ratings and reviews are our life's blood, and I'm starting to feel a little withered and old, so please. Give us your blood, your young blood. (laughs) Or your your reviews. (laughs) Oh, yeah, those five stars. We'll take those. (laughs) You took it real far. Sorry. (laughs) So please uh, bring us back to life with a kind word or two and your blood for Leslie. 
Just send it. It's fine. Yeah, just send it in like a bottle. It's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't do that. Never mind. Please. Okay. Do, do not. All right. Well, let's get into it then. So today we're talking about cursed objects. Yay. Woo! <laughs> Spooky. Uh, this is such a fun topic for me because while I do absolutely believe in ghosts, I feel a little more removed from the reality of like a cursed doll. So I got to really just play storyteller this week. I think Leslie is still pretty scared. I am equally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie and I will each be sharing two stories this week. And uh, Leslie, what are you talking about? The Dybbuk box and the hands resist him painting. Ooh, such eBay topics. It is all eBay. I love cursed objects on eBay, so I can't wait to talk about them. Um, And I will be turning it doll style with Robert the Doll and the movie famous yet unrealistically represented Annabelle, who, for those of you who live in a cave without a TV, is also a doll. Um, Leslie, uh, let's take turns this week. So I think we're going to go, we're going to alternate, which is a fun change up for us. Uh, and why don't you go first? I don't. I don't want to go at all. I'm so sorry, but you must because we're here and we're, we've already started drinking. All right, cool. Jk, we do these totally sober every time. Totally sober. Okay. <clears throat> so back in 2018, way back, rapper Post Malone made news after a series of unfortunate events caused many to speculate he had been cursed. (gasps) Did you hear about this? No, not Post Malone. Yeah. I know who that is. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. He's a lot of face tattoos. (laughs) You won a book about bones. Oh, damn. Oh, I thought you were going to say I won a book about Post Malone, too. (laughs) I would read that. He's probably interesting. He's very interesting. See? Mm -hmm. Let's find out how interesting. Okay. (laughs) So... First, his plane was forced to make an emergency landing after its tires blew off. Oh, no. Then three armed robbers targeted a home in in San Fernando Valley that they believed to be his. uh, But he had sold it a little while back, so they broke in and it was these other owners. And they were like, where's Post Malone? And they were like, he doesn't live here anymore. Psych. (laughs) And they were like, damn it. Can we bring back Psych? I miss. I like that one. I miss it. You can keep that one. (laughs) Um, And then he got into a pretty bad car accident where he was okay, but his Rolls Royce was not. Oh, Post Malone. No. So after all these things had happened, he had tweeted that, you know, like mentioning he was having really bad luck and all this stuff. And his fans like went wild and they were like, oh, my God, remember that he visited the Haunted Museum in downtown Las Vegas in June, which was just a few months prior. Oh, no. The museum is owned by Zach Baggins, who's the host of the TV show Ghost Adventures. I never yes. watched it, but I was aware of it. Is he? I wonder if he's the one, and maybe more people can tell us. Is he the one that like provokes ghosts? I think so. <laughs> he kind of seems like a. <laughs> I don't know. One of the he ghost like it. hunter people like goes into haunted places and is like fuck you ghosts, and he's like real mad at them to try and provoke a response, and it always makes me so nervous. My blood pressure is like sky high. <laughs> They're gonna kill him. Oh no. <laughs> So maybe that's him. It might be him. Okay. Um, So there's a video where Zach and Post Malone are in a room with the uh, Dybbuk box, which is widely considered the world's most haunted object, but was once just a wine cabinet. Oh. 
Um, so in Jewish mythology, a Dybbuk is a disembodied human spirit that, because of former sins, wanders restlessly until it finds a haven in the body of a living person to take control. It is removed by an exorcism or sometimes on its own if it has accomplished whatever its goal was. Gross. Yeah. In the video, Post Malone is seen touching the arm of Zach Baggins as Zach is touching the box. But this box was, um, it has quite a history prior to this moment. I want to hear it. The Dybbuk box first appeared in 2003 as an eBay auction by Kevin Manis, who owned a used furniture shop in Portland, Oregon. He listed it as a mysteriously haunted item. Manis wrote in detail the horrible events that occurred during his ownership of the box. It's a pretty lengthy write-up, so I'll just summarize for you. Please do. As his story goes, he bought it at an estate sale a a few years previously, and the family told him that their grandmother had bought it back from had brought it back from Poland while escaping the Holocaust. Ooh. So nothing good ever happens when the Holocaust is involved. I mean, if you escape it, that's great. Yes. So way to go, Grandma from Poland. Oh yeah, all by herself. That's pretty tough. What a badass. Um, it was just one of the few items that she had taken with her. So the grandmother told Manis, or the granddaughter, I apologize. The granddaughter told Manis that her grandmother never let anyone near the box. When she got the nerve to ask her grandmother what was in the box, she responded by spitting three times and said a dibbick, and it was never to be opened. Yeah, no, I'm good. Okay, cool. She even asked for it to be buried with her, but that went against the Orthodox Jewish burial. Also, like, don't do, no, let her be. Don't yeah. bury that with her. You're good. You are, no. <laughs> yeah, but she wanted, it seems like she wanted to bury it with her so nobody else had to deal with this. Which box. is selfless and lovely. Yeah. But I don't want her to be buried with it and possibly affected yeah. in the hereafter. I know. I'm very concerned. Mm-hmm. Manis offered to let the family keep the wine cabinet as it seemed like their mother's or their grandmother's wish for them to hold on to it if she couldn't take it to her grave. He even offered to let them keep the money. So he was just like, "You, I paid for it. This, you know, it's fine. Like, do you Aww. guys want it back? Like, I don't know if you were trying to sell it because you needed money and you wanted to keep it. Like, he felt really bad. Oh, my God, I like him. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> but the granddaughter seemed pretty eager to get rid of it. Yeah, she was yeah, just yeah. like, no, 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 you can take it. It's totally fine. fine. I'm good. Yeah, you <laughs> so, can have it. Bye. <laughs> so Manus just shrugged that off and he took it back to his furniture shop um, and decided to worry about it later. Shortly after, he gets a call from a frightened employee who states there was an intruder and they were breaking things in the basement. No. So he rushed back to the shop, ran into the basement, saw no intruder. Nobody came past him. There's only one way into that basement, no way out. But all the light bulbs had been shattered. Oh, my gosh. And there was an inexplicable odor of cat urine. Gross. Yeah. They never found a cat either, so there was nothing dead down there. Oh, cat pee, though, is like a really, really, really distinct smell. Yep. Mm -hmm. It smells like nothing else in the world. Yeah. It's gross. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, The employee had left during his search. Like, he came back up to, like, check on her, and she was just gone. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) I gotta go. And he never really heard from her again. Like, he knew she was alive, but, like, she didn't want to come back, talk about it. I love her. (laughs) That would have been me. (laughs) It would have been you. I love her. It, you're here? Cool. I gotta go. Okay. <laughs> I guess when he, like, came into the shop, she was just, like, curled up, like, behind the counter. Oh, just like <laughs> Poor little babe. So, at this time, he still didn't think any of this had a connection to the box. 
He had intended on giving this box as a birthday gift to his mother, so he wanted to clean it up for her, and when he opened the box, he found several items. Oh, God. One 1928 U.S. wheat penny, one 1925 U.S. wheat penny, one small lock of blonde hair bound with string. Ooh, no thank you. One small lock of black-brown hair bound with string. Nope, double nope. One small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew letters, which he's been told later is uh, spells out shalom. Oh. One dried rosebud, one golden wine cup, one very strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. Oh. Well, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. It'd be lovely to find inside. I, yeah, I didn't. That's unlike any cult, cultish behavior I've ever heard of. So cool. He cleaned it up and gave it to his mother while they were out to lunch. He still gave it to his mother? Well, yeah, he just found these objects. He just figured, like, it was a weird old lady that had shit in there. Old hair? Yeah. He uh-uh. doesn't know. She's, she survived the Holocaust. She hadn't opened it since. I think I would still be like, oh, no, this is not a gift. Yeah. Well, he cleaned it up. I think he put some, like, lemon oil on it or something. This is a shrine, and I cannot give it to my mother for her birthday. (laughs) Well, he did anyway. Okay. And guess what happened? Bad stuff. Real, real, real bad stuff. Minutes later, (laughs) she suffered a stroke. No! God damn it. Don't give a weird shrine to your mom. At the hospital, she tried speaking to Manis, saying what sounded like, no gift. Yeah, don't. (laughs) No. That was terrible. But he assured her, I I gave you a gift, Mom. Like, I gave you a gift. That is not what she was saying. And so a while later, she was able to write a note, and she said, hate gift. (laughs) I love her, too. (laughs) And he laughed. that gift. And he laughed it off and apologized. Again, not, like, connecting the box to her stroke. Oh, come on. Get it together. Right? Since his mother was not fond of the gift, (laughs) he gave it to his sister who returned it with the complaint that its doors wouldn't stay shut. He then... Oh, God, that's because the ghosts <laughs> wouldn't stay in there. Yeah. He then gave it to his brother, who returned it, saying it smelled like cat urine. Stop giving it to your family! His girlfriend didn't want it either. Oh, my God! <laughs> who else can you give it to? So he def- finally decided to sell it in the shop. Okay. It was found returned... Of course. <laughs> ...a few days later at the door with a note saying... This has a bad darkness. It said, get your cat piss shrine out of here. And he was like, no, I think I'll give it to my aunt next. Yes. <laughs> so Manus decided to take it home only to have a nightmare about an ugly old hag. And when he told his family about it, his brother, sister, and girlfriend all reported the same dream. Ew! He concluded saying, quote, I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I am afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I have been told that there are people who shop on eBay that understand these kinds of things and specifically look for these kinds of items. If you are one of these people... Please, please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. Translation, I know there are weirdos on the internet. I want you to buy my weird thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. 
Perfect. <laughs> we'll take it. He even um, mentioned that he would, if they wanted proof of these incidences, like his mom in the hospital, like even the person, oh, like God. he has proof of this, that this happened within that time frame. Oh, my God. So the item ended up selling for $140 in June of 2003 to okay. a buyer whose eBay name was Spasmolytic. Yeah. S-P-A-S-M-O-L-Y-T-I-C. We now know his real name was... Post Malone. <laughs> no. Okay. That was the end of Post Malone. Okay. <laughs> that was just how I realized, like, even learned about the box. Got it, got it, got it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the buyer's name was Iosif Nitschke. Okay. A Missouri college student. Eight months later, Nitschke... Relisted the item on eBay, (laughs) (laughs) saying that he blogged about his experience after buying the box. Side note here. I have searched for this blog, and I can't find it. That doesn't mean I don't believe it exists or existed, but if anyone can find it, please send it my way. Yes, please. Would love to read. In his eBay listing, Nitschke reported problems of insomnia, illnesses among his college roommates, which he claims it might just be a possible coincidence, occasional strong odors, and he mentions problems with his car that needed multiple repairs. He listed um, like an ending similar to, or his listing ended similar to Manus's. Okay. Quote, Anyhow, for personal reasons, I very strongly do not want this box anymore. (laughs) I hope there's someone on eBay that will take this thing off my hands. I would just throw it away in the woods or something. Yeah, do that. But I know there has been some interest in this in the past. I would throw it away, but I want to make some money. Exactly. Gotcha. And money he made. Okay. Nitschke sold it to Jason Haxton for $280 in February 2004. So he made double the amount. Okay. Well, he's turning it over at a profit. Haxton was the museum director of the Museum Osteopathic Medicine at A.T. Still University in Missouri. So like a bones place? Osteopath, Mm -hmm. that's bones. Yeah. Haxton and Nitschke coincidentally lived in the same town, Kirksville, Missouri. Of course, why not? Yeah. Haxton says he heard about the online auction from one of his students who happened to be one of Nitschke's plagued roommates. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I guess he had been like, uh, so he was reading the blog and keeping up with it and mm-hmm. was interested in this box and interested in the story. And he was kind of keeping tabs in case he ever sold it. So he okay. was like on it. Got it. Haxton would own the box the longest and would be the reason it got more mainstream notice. In 2011, he wrote a book titled The Dybbuk Box and maintains the principal website, www.dybbukbox.com. Got it. In the book, which still sells well today. Of course. Why wouldn't it? He claims that he subsequently developed strange health problems, including hives, coughing up blood, and head-to-toe welts. Sounds like you're allergic to cats. Like the ones that pissed all over the box. (laughs) Okay. His wife experienced bloody, weeping blisters. Oh, why wouldn't she? After coming in contact with clothing he wore during a failed containment attempt. What was he trying to do containing this shit? Also, like, he? what did they use? Yeah. I that they're all, they're getting horrible rashes and stuff. Did they, like, douse it in some sort of caustic liquid or something? I don't know. Like, I didn't, I didn't read the book. Okay. <laughs> Let me read the book, yeah. please. 
<laughs> Send me the spark notes. <laughs> His office also experienced the bursting of light bulbs. So this box was like in his like workplace such you know? power it exploded all the light bulbs everywhere and that's just like a manis's story right his yep. light bulbs exploded exactly checks out upon removal of the box from the museum haxton had locked the box in the back of his truck because everyone at work was like take this shit out of here <laughs> that smells like, like cat pee and it's full of ghosts go yeah, away get get it out yeah um so he parked it um right outside of his home that evening um that night he experienced nightmares of an old hag I don't know if she was ugly. It just said old hag. Hag mares. <laughs> One of Manus's was ugly. <laughs> Maybe this was a beautiful hag. A beautiful hag. old hag. <laughs> don't we all aspire to that someday? And you know, that's probably why it smells like cat piss. It was like an old hag. She probably had cats. 150 cats. Yes. <laughs> okay. Haxton's final straw was while he and his son were watching television and his son noticed a black flame-like mass in the room with them. <gasps> nope. Is the black flame candle? Ugh. I will bring it all back to Hocus Pocus if I can. Yeah, right? <laughs> Haxon consulted with rabbis about sealing the Dybbuk in the box again. He claims they successfully resealed the box, after which he hid it at a secret location, which he has never revealed to this day. Oh, shit. The Can't box, go visit it. Well, never so mind. He still... <laughs> It's such a strange sentence because I, like, found it so many times written that way. I don't – he must have, like, a secret hiding spot that he – so no one knows. But you can buy tickets to it blindfolded or something? Well, no. I just mean, like (laughs) – I just mean he must have a place that he hides things so he just won't tell people because the box remained hidden until 2016 when he gave it to Zach Baggins to put on display at the Haunted Museum where it lives today. Okay, so, so nobody knows it. where he took it from though, like where it was hidden. Oh, still. he just you held it somewhere I mean? secret for a little while. Yeah. In his for like, for years. Scrooge I mean, McDuck so that was, vault or something. Yeah, <laughs> so I think that was like 2011 or something. He like hit it and so yeah. in 2016 he gave it to Zach. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Zach. And that's Kind of where the story ends. Zach now does things on his show. With Post Malone. Yeah. <laughs> and he does have, he did a quarantine. So um, Ghost Adventures Quarantine, um, which I don't have the travel channel, so I couldn't watch like, it. But fuck you, play ghosts. Yeah, but I think cool. it's episode four, which I think was the last one of that season. I have the travel channel. We can watch it here sometime. Okay. So he they talk about that box and he okay. goes in. I think he's opening the box in it. So it's been sealed, and now he's going to reopen it. I hate him. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I don't hate you. Don't sue me. Whatever your name is, you're great. Mm-hmm. I hope the ghosts don't attack you. They're gonna. I have a theory about this box. Bring it on. My theory is is that there was never a demon in it. Okay. That the grandmother just loved wine. Got it. I love and wine. And she wanted. She didn't want anyone touching her shit. So and she wanted her all wine. Over it? Well, no, because the kids didn't say that it smelled like urine. Okay. I just think she loved her wine and wanted to take it to the grave with her. <laughs> I love your optimism. She was like, if I put these weird-ass objects in here, yeah. people are going to be like, oh, God, nope. <laughs> well, yeah, it was probably like a prank she had at the end of her life. Like, she always had wine in there, and then just at the end, she was just, like, put in weird shit. You get an octopus candle and hair. Yeah, they're going to open this and be like, Grandma was weird. <laughs> I mean, that's that's also mm-hmm. my goal. I would like to be a beautiful old hag who was very, very <laughs> weird. So, um, one other uh, one other story that I heard about this, but okay. I couldn't find it within the original stories, mm-hmm. was that um, the grandmother 
had done a seance with some friends and they opened up a portal and a demon came through and so she had to see all this into something and I don't know if rabbis were involved that at that time. That kind of checks out. It would check out. I just, I don't know where that story came from. I don't know if it was from this or like they've made a movie called The Possession based on that book oh, that cool. um, Haxton wrote and yeah, I don't know. So I tried to find it. I tried to hit up some people to see who had studied this but I didn't yeah. hear back. So I don't know a whole lot about like demon process when it comes to Judaism because like we did mm-hmm. Catholic stuff and yeah. we looked that up because we we're both have like mm-hmm. more of a Catholic history than well, anything else I, but I did you don't look, see it as much I did look this up and it there is some similarities to it it's but this this one's strange because it doesn't fully check out like this demon would have been locked in this box and the minute that it was open it would have been searching for a body Okay. And so I'm not really sure why it just stayed with the Still object. Still rattling around in the box. Yeah. Okay. And why wouldn't why it wouldn't have gone into another person and then transferred, you know, as when it was done with that person or it was exercised. I, know. I you only know? have Catholic demon knowledge to offer to this. So any of our yeah. like Jewish listeners who might have contributions, like let's talk about it. Yeah. I am so very interested now. Right. Right, yeah, because from what I've read, even in the Jewish history, like, it doesn't necessarily check out, but that doesn't mean that it can't happen, just because it's not necessarily common or popular. Yeah, I only have guilty, guilty Catholic demon knowledge. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. So that was my story. That was a good one. Yeah. I like that one. I had to look up pictures while you were telling it. It is a weird-ass looking box. Yeah. it's, It's like a... Wooden cabinet and the, what I guess would be like handles or they're almost like a drawer pull or in the shape of mm-hmm. silver grapes. Yeah. But then the inside has like cup holders almost, like places where you're like, I'm not just storing my wine here. I sit with this cabinet to drink my wine yeah. and rest my <laughs> goblet in it. It's like a portable bar Kind or do of? you think it just has, like, you'd put your wine in there and your cup, so would you open, like, everything's together I in one? I get, like, it's just like a wine picnic. Yeah. Yeah. A wine picnic. I I don't know. It's There's know. a drawer for cheese. I love a cheese drawer. Yeah. Who doesn't? I, crazy people. Yeah. And the lactose intolerant. Well, they still love a cheese. I was going to say, <laughs> you. that's you, and you do still love a cheese. <laughs> it's my burden to bear. <laughs> Your cheese burden. Yes. <laughs> okay. We're very silly tonight, yes. you guys. <laughs> All right. Um, that was great. I enjoyed it immensely. Um, and now I'm gonna tell you about dolls. Because both of mine are dolls. And my daughter my daughter's haunted doll, Mirabelle is here. So my daughter Violet has um this kind of like old timey Victorian-y looking porcelain doll. And her name is Mirabelle. And she, like, swears that Mirabelle moves and talks. And um, she terrifies her friends with this doll because why wouldn't I have a creepy kid? <laughs> and we posted pictures of Mirabelle. <laughs> She's, so I have my very own haunted doll in the house. Yep, and she's sitting right next to me. She, yeah, no, she's, like, re- she's recording with our emotional support porg with us tonight. So, yeah. What a delightful time. Uh, so the first doll I have to offer you all this week is the eponymous Annabelle. Now let me start by saying that she got a major makeover for the movies. The movie 
Annabelle is described as, quote, a large Victorian porcelain doll. And that would be one way of describing the creature you see on the screen. Another would be an unsettlingly large doll who most closely resembles a grimacing pigtailed ashen ghoul in a white nightgown. She is horrifying and immediately recognizable as the root of all evil. She's, like, awful looking. Her face is severe and overly painted in an eerie baby Jane, woman baby fashion. Her vibrant strawberry blonde pigtails and heavy bang look as though they were made from real human hair, but styled by Party City. And those eyes. She has extremely human eyes. Dolls are traditionally... Like, doll eyes, I should say, are traditionally pretty vacant. I mean, they're glass or painted on, so they would be, right? Hers are not. No, no, no. They're alive with the thoughts of skinning people in the shed or slicing Achilles tendons or boiling puppies or whatever the worst thing that you can imagine is. And for some people, it's it's always going to be a dog. Every time. I could be talking about a killer who ate live baby sandwiches every Friday night on YouTube for the better part of a year, and some people would still reserve their horror for the moment in his childhood where he kicked a puppy. Every time. Humans are weird. Anyway, back to Annabelle. I can also not stress enough that I have never in my life seen a doll that large. The movie Annabelle is fucking huge. She's the size of your average nine-year-old for absolutely no reason. Oh, really? Yeah, be a reasonable size. That's nuts. Come on. It's like my size Barbie. But worse, even bigger. Everyone knows the giant dolls cannot be trusted, right? Oh, that's why I never had one. Yeah, see? Smart. Which is the one thing the real Annabelle has in common with her glossy movie star alter ego. She was huge? Yup. Ooh, fucking huge. The real Annabelle is an enormous Raggedy Ann doll. I knew you were going to hate that for some reason. I've I've seen this doll. Yeah. And she has all the benign features you're thinking of, but she's also huge. Really horribly huge, so that the actual doll, when seated, just looks like a large child in a costume and a mask slumped over. Ew. (laughs) I know, it's pretty gross. There are some who see the image of a Raggedy Ann doll and think, oh, that's like a like snuggly, cute childhood relic. But still others are actually afraid of this particular image. And I am the latter. I hate a Raggedy Ann. I do too, yeah. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. It's all raggedy and shit. And vacant and awful. <laughs> it's horrible. She's so raggedy. She's so raggedy. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> um, but there is also... Um, some science behind why people feel this way. It's also why we tend to be afraid of clowns. Raggedy Ann has a painted-on face that is really just a handful of shapes thrown together to eke out a wide-eyed smile. Simple enough, right? Should be totally accessible for a child to take in, right? Wrong. Children, a lot of the time, can take issue with frozen faces. I think we've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. I find it super fascinating that children, like, if, if an unmoving face frightens a lot of children. Well, because that's the only way that they, like, they have to learn exactly. expressions. and They have no cue because the face doesn't move. Um, frozen faces uh, are impossible to read, so you don't know their intentions or demeanor. You can't infer mood or disposition. So much of what we know of people is inferred through body language and facial expression. A child's mind does not like when they cannot glean anything about a humanoid figure because its face is frozen. And that's why they don't like masks either. 
Have you ever experienced Halloween with a bunch of four-year-olds? Masks freak them out every time. Or me. Or you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not talking about just like super spooky goblin face masks. No, this extends to all of them. Ninja Turtles, Dora the Explorer, Mario, Doc McStuffins, a name I will never get over. No. (laughs) Doesn't matter. They don't like that they cannot read the face. Mm -hmm. The unknown is too much for them to process. Yeah. Just a little history on why you might not like dolls. So you would think for children that this would extend to most all toys and dolls, but it doesn't. I mean, I guess for some of them it does, but when you think of it, some dolls really do a better job than others of appearing non-threatening. There's my emotional support porg. The porg is a perfect example. Listen, the porg's (laughs) face is permanently horrified. Yes. He looks like somebody made, like, a re- a racist joke at all times. He's looking at you like, oh, God. Like, he can't. He hates it so much. And I love him for it. So that's why he's my mascot. He's, like, permanently aghast. Or, like, a UFO is coming. Nope. Hate it. Yep. <laughs> that, too. <gasps> what? I, I there's gonna be so many pictures of this pork this week. I love him. So, I love him so much. I bought him kind of drunk in Disney World. It's a win for everybody. <laughs> anyway, um, as I was saying, some dolls like the pork do better at exuding like a non-threatening energy or express like an expressiveness um, that might convey like a lack of possible malintent, and perhaps those are the ones that escape the frozen face phobia. Ooh, that's real hard to say. Frozen face phobia. Now 10 times faster. Nope. (laughs) Um, Whether Annabelle is a realistic ghoul or a slightly frumpy extra large pillow person, the events that brought her into the possession of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who locked her in a glass box in their occult museum, are scary enough for anyone to want to keep their distance. The following is the real story of Annabelle the doll. And though it bears little resemblance to the movie, the Warrens, Annabelle's guardians, who we will get to later, were fine with the dramatic reimagining because, I shit you not, quote, it still spreads awareness about demons. Oh. (laughs) I would love to know what, like, the ribbon color is for demon awareness. (laughs) It's like puke green. (laughs) That's a good one. Black. There's a pad. I don't know. Now accepting, um... All design ideas for yeah. demon awareness ribbons because we should all have them. Or just gray. Like, <laughs> just gray. <laughs> Guys, I want I want a demon awareness ribbon so bad. <laughs> Maybe it's a gift for our patrons. You don't know. We'll see. Oh, that would be great. Wouldn't it? Okay, yeah. well... Hit us up with what you think a, a demon awareness <laughs> ribbon should look like. And maybe we will make them. I wear mine every day. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the year is 1970. And a young nursing student named Donna is getting ready to graduate. On the day of her graduation, her mother surprises her with a giant floppy Raggedy Ann doll. Good one, Mom. Why that would be an appropriate gift for a fully grown adult woman on the eve of her entrance into the professional world is beyond me. But I don't know them. Maybe it was an inside joke. Maybe her mother always called her like, my little frozen clown face. And so the doll seemed appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I to judge? (laughs) Who are any of us? Donna laughed at the big squishy doll and put her on her bed in her apartment as a decoration. Wrong. And moved on with her life. Her roommates must have hated her. (laughs) Uh, Her roommate at first was like, cute doll. Then it got real bad. But the doll didn't seem to want to stay put. 
At first, the movements were subtle. Donna would leave the room and return to find the doll had crossed its arms or changed the position of its legs. Sometimes the doll would appear to have angled its head to gaze in a different direction or sat up when Donna— I know. (laughs) When Donna left it lying down. The angled head perpetually— and this, I will mention this a thousand times in any pictures we take, I will try to sneak it into. Makes me think of Michael Myers looking at the guy he like pinned to the wall with the butcher knife and then he just goes like and turns mm-hmm. his head. It's my favorite scary image in the world. Oh, I love it. Anyway, I have a lot of digressions this <laughs> it's episode. It's what Holly's dreams are made of. It is. My horror <laughs> dreams. This was unsettling, but small enough to rationalize. The human mind has a really glorious habit of explaining the mysterious so that its body can sleep at night. But soon, the doll's movements became more obvious and therefore much more difficult to ignore. Donna would leave for work and see the doll sitting on her bed and then return home to find it on the couch. Or she would leave with it sitting on the couch and find it sitting on her bed behind a closed door when she returned home. At first, Donna thought it had been her roommate that was moving the doll in her absence. Donna lived with another nurse named Angie, but Angie assured her that she did not touch the doll. In fact, frequently Donna and Angie would be at work at the same time, making it impossible for either of them to have moved the doll at all. It was strange to be sure, but they tried to chalk it up to forgetfulness and move on. But the doll wouldn't have any of that. It was attention that the doll desired, and if moving around wouldn't do it anymore, well then, she would just have to find it another way. Oh, I hate how you're telling this. <laughs> Thank you. And so, a few weeks after the doll began moving more freely in their absence, the notes began to appear. Donna and Angie would find small scraps of parchment paper on the floor or the bed close to the doll with help me or help me please printed on them in red ink. You didn't tell me there were notes. <laughs> Sorry. Or what they thought could be blood. The girls did not keep parchment in the house either, so they were left to wonder where on earth these messages could possibly be coming from. In these red blood stains. The final straw came when, one evening, Donna and Angie returned home from work to find the doll in a different location than they had left it. This had become so commonplace that they weren't even surprised by that anymore. They went to the doll to move it back where it belonged and were horrified to find a new development. On the back of the doll's head and hands were a sticky, rust-colored liquid. They quickly identified as blood. Armed with this chilling discovery, the girls sought out a psychic medium to come to their apartment and figure out what exactly had been going on. Was it Teresa Caputo? (laughs) If only. (laughs) She would have her manicure kicking, and she would be telling telling it like it was. Yep. (laughs) But it wasn't. I'm pretty sure I would have just gotten rid of this doll. You know, but um, they slept with it in the house until they could get the psychic there. Oh, Jesus. I know. Like, People get, are, I don't know how they do it. T- t- drive it away. Put it somewhere. Lock it in a storage unit. Don't just, like, leave it for a little yeah. while. The psychic they brought in spoke to the spirit she claimed was inhabiting the doll. She said it was a good spirit. Her name was Annabelle, and she was seven years old. She had died on the property before it became apartments and felt alone and scared. She just wanted to live with the girls and be loved. The spirit claimed to be lonely and only wished for companionship. The girls felt bad for whatever resided inside the giant doll and told the psychic to communicate to the spirit that it would be okay with them if the spirit chose to just permanently inhabit the doll and it could keep living with them and they would keep it company. (sighs) Too nice. Too nice, girls. No. Yeah. Just be like, sorry, you need to move on. Yeah. Put, put, Put that girl somewhere else. Oh, cute. Go away. 
Yeah. Huh. In a turn of events that should surprise precisely none of our listeners, this did not go well. Shortly after the presence in their home was granted residency inside a large Raggedy Ann doll, Donna and Angie would have another harrowing encounter. One evening, their friend Lou was visiting the girls at home. In some versions of this story, Lou is Angie's boyfriend. In some, there he's just a mutual friend of the girls. It doesn't really matter. That's my nickname. Lou? Yeah. I did not know that. No, you didn't? Was it you? It might have been me. Oh, shit. You're going to know if it was you real quick. Okay. <laughs> let, me, let me find out. Okay. Were you Angie's boyfriend? Uh, college was a weird maybe. time, Holly. <laughs> maybe. Okay. None of that is really here nor there. Um, but the evening that they were spending with Lou grew late, and it was decided that he would spend the night at their apartment. After the trio had finished socializing, Lou went to bed on the sofa. In the middle of the night, Lou awoke with a start. He couldn't figure out what had woken him up. But he knew it was something unnatural. And you know the feeling I'm talking about where you like wake up real quick and you're like, what woke me up? What was it? Yeah. Something scary, but I don't know what it was. So he's half out of it and he can't immediately figure out what's going on. And soon he realized that he had woken up because there was an intense pressure on his chest and he couldn't breathe. It felt as though someone or something was trying to suffocate him. Lou was unable to scream, but when his eyes scanned the room, he noticed the doll sitting nearby, staring intently at him. Eventually, Lou was able to shake off the suffocating force and call for the girls. Once he was out of his trance, he felt a burning pain in his chest. The girls leapt out of bed to see what was happening to Lou, because I guess when he kind of got out of it, he, like I said, he could like, yell for them. And upon further inspection, they discovered three... It says, some places say three, some places say seven. Wide disparity, but let's just say it was some. Bloody scratches down Lou's chest. The doll sat silently nearby with the same rust-colored stains gracing its mitten of fingers. Ew. Yep. Do you think Lou was really sleeping on the couch, or do you think he was sleeping in her bed? I think he was in somebody's bed. Probably. It's okay. We'll preserve their, their modesty. Yeah. It's for the parents. It is. <laughs> Whatever. And there are, like, eight versions of this story, and some, like, they don't mention where he was sleeping, and some they do, and some he was with Angie. And some this takes the course of two days where they say mm -hmm. he wakes up feeling the pressure on his chest at night, and then the next day he hears rustling in Donna's room, goes in there, and the doll flies across the room and attacks him. Oh. <laughs> Which is way more far-fetched, so I was like, meh, we'll keep that one over there. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Any of that is possible. At this point, the girls decide that they should probably call in the big guns and began to look for a priest. But finding a priest to come to your apartment to perform a full exorcism on a large Raggedy Ann doll is not an easy task. Eventually, their search led Donna and Angie to spiritualists and demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. And if you recognize their name, round of applause because you really should. Um, and if anyone could get a doll exercised, it was them. Boy, howdy, do the Warrens have a history with anything spooky. First off, you will probably recognize them as the psychic investigators who dealt with the Amityville Horror House, a case which we will cover very, very soon. Yes, Leslie's saying, no, we will not. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> Child with an imaginary pig friend? Terrifying. Good story. We'll get to it. Uh, so here's a little backstory on the Warrens, just a little bit, because when we do Amityville, we'll, we'll go into Ed and Lorraine a lot more. Um, 
Edward Warren was born on September 7th, 1926 and died on August 23rd, 2006. And Lorraine Warren was born on January 31st, 1927 and died on April 18th, 2019. So Lorraine just died. I remember when that happened. Uh, They were American paranormal investigators and authors associated with prominent cases of hauntings. Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, which like you just make up a job and then it's your job. I love it. Right? Perfect. He was an author and a lecturer as well. Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and a light trance medium who worked closely with her husband. In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, the oldest ghost hunting group in New England, and we love a New England ghost story. They authored numerous books about the paranormal and about their private investigations into various reports of paranormal activity. They claimed to have investigated over 10,000 cases during their career. Woo! The Warrens were among the first investigators in the controversial Amityville haunting, as I said. According to the Warrens, the NESPR used a variety of individuals, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, and members of the clergy in its investigations. So Ed and Lorraine come with quite a resume. So when they come, and they confirm that the doll really, what the doll really needs is an exorcism, the entity that the girls were dealing with was not, in fact, a lonely ghost, but a demonic presence who wishes to harm them. Thanks, Lorraine, where I think we're all up to speed now. The Warrens say that the doll's activities are all signs of a demon, and what Lou experienced was, quote, the mark of the beast. Ugh. <laughs> Which feels like a made-up thing, but, like, I'm gonna let it go. And the doll moving from place to place was evidence of teleportation. The Warrens were able to call upon a local Episcopal priest by the name of Father Cook, Father Cook would not perform a full unsanctioned exorcism on a doll, and good on him, because for an actual man of the cloth to do that would probably be frowned upon. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I seem to recall a lot of talk during our Annalise Michelle episode about the lengthy proceedings that need to take place for an exorcism to occur, and a creepy doll doesn't really seem to meet those. No. No. But Father Cook obliged the Warrens and the girls in the best way he could. And also, he's Episcopal. He's not Catholic, so maybe the rules are slightly different. Um, He performed a blessing on the home. The Episcopal blessing of the home is a wordy seven-page document that is distinctly positive in nature. Rather than specifically expelling evil entities from the dwelling, the emphasis is instead directed toward filling the home with the power of positivity and of God. Which is nice. Yes, love will solve everything. I love it. Totally. This made the girls feel safer in their home, but they did not want the doll hanging around to test this hypothesis, which, good job, guys. Get it out of there. Finally. I know. So they asked the Warrens to take her away with them, and the Warrens agreed. Because when you have a museum of occult objects in your backyard, a cursed doll might be right up your alley. Like, are you guys sure? We, you don't. You don't want us to have it. Uh, well, okay, take, take it, take it, honey. Put it in the truck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ed and Lorraine took the doll with them and had a rather strenuous drive home. They claimed to feel horrible negative energy coming toward them from the doll and suffered more than a few close calls in traffic while the doll was with them. Ed claimed that the car's brakes and power steering began to fail, and at one point he pulled a bottle of holy water from the glove compartment and doused the doll, ordering the demon inside of it to stop it. You stop it. (laughs) I just, that's what I imagine. I imagine him scolding it like a dad. (laughs) And then the rest of the ride home was uneventful. Once Ed, Lorraine, and their terrifying passenger got home, the strange events continued in the doll's new location. Ed and Lorraine noticed the doll moving about the house when they were gone, changing locations and positions, seemingly always having eyes on the family. 
They claim to see the doll levitate, which is a new one. <laughs> Finally, the Warrens found a Catholic priest to perform an exorcism on the doll. I don't know how they did it. Maybe he was like a little looser with the rules. Maybe he left the church previously and exorcisms were his side hustle. Either way, a man named Father Jason Bradford agreed to do this. When he arrived, the priest quipped that Annabelle, as they were given to calling it, was nothing more than a rag doll, nothing to be afraid of, and certainly unable to harm anyone. And Ed Warren warned that the priest should never have said such a thing. Whether Father Bradford performed the rite or not is up for debate. But he stayed for some time, and then when he went to drive himself home, uh, Lorraine begged him to drive safely, and she insisted they pray for his safe passage home. On his way home, Father Bradford was in a near-fatal car crash. Of course. Of, yeah, why wouldn't he be? Annabelle has been known since then to cause car trouble to anyone who dares to mock her. The Warrens thought it best to create a locking glass cabinet for Annabelle with a side on the outside stating, Warning, positively do not open. Said. <laughs> and they placed the whole thing in their occult museum for thousands of terrified guests to look at but never touch. For the most part, people are respectful, but when they're not, they suffer the consequences. Ed Warren recalled a specific incident at one interview, uh, in an interview, claiming that a young man and his girlfriend had come to the museum to see Annabelle. When they approached her case, the man defiantly began to knock on the case and dare Annabelle to demonstrate her powers, calling her stupid and laughing on the way out. Ed warned him that he shouldn't be doing such things and ushered him into the parking lot. On his way home, the young man lost control of his motorcycle and crashed head-on into a tree. He lost his life, and his girlfriend sustained permanent injuries. Ed Warren passed away in 2006, as I mentioned, and Lorraine in 2019, but Annabelle lives on inside the museum, waiting for the next person to challenge her abilities or foolishly remove her from her case. Oh, don't do it, guys. Yeah, don't do it. Leave Annabelle in the case. Ew, I hate this. Yeah, so that's the real Annabelle, you guys. Ew. I know. Big, gross, raggedy Ann. Ugh. I love that she causes car troubles. It's like on car insurance policies. They're like, if you own Annabelle. We will not insure you. (laughs) Sorry, weirdos. It's like flood insurance when you live in a flood like zone. They're like, nope. Annabelle insurance. (laughs) You go to weird museums. You can't insure your car with Geico. Sorry. Nope. What if that was a clause? I would love that so much. (laughs) Flo is pissed. Real pissed. Not having it. (laughs) So that's all of Annabelle. I hated it. Great. <laughs> what do you have next, Leslie? I have a uh, the most haunted painting in the world. I love this story. Ugh. I hate I, this story. I know. Mm. I came across it a few years ago and I was fascinated. Mm-hmm. And I not only had to like read everything about it, but also I had to go on to eBay and look at every haunted thing I could find. I do remember this. And I remember I still... <laughs> I still haven't looked at this, like, painting for probably more than, like, a second. Oh, the hands? Yeah. I can't look at it for more than a second. The weird vacant faces? Oh, so bad. I'm just, ugh. Okay. So, my next story that I have for you is about the most haunted painting in the world. The hands resist him. Mm. Oh, they sure do. They do. They really do. In February of 2000, a family put a painting up for auction on eBay with a disturbing tale attached to it. It reads, When we received this painting, we thought it was really good art. (laughs) A, quote, picker. We thought it was really good art. (laughs) I'm sorry. All right, get it together, Holly. I can't. That was too funny. 
Keep going. A, quote, picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. Today, we don't. (laughs) One morning, our four-and-a-half-year-old daughter claimed that the children in the picture were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Okay. It's it's a scary painting. Now, I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive. Fucking UFOs. Yes, you do. <laughs> well, I do, but these people oh, don't. Oh, okay, this is a quote. This is still a quote. This is all. This is the listing. Oh, I love them so eBay. much. Keep going. I thought that was so funny. I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive. <laughs> this is comparable to those yeah. things. Okay. But my husband was alarmed. <laughs> <laughs> my allergies are so bad today. I'm not t- Dying of the plague. I just can't. To my amusement, he set up a motion-triggered camera for that night. So he put up a motion-triggered camera for the nights. I don't know. They can't. Nobody can write on eBay. I don't know, but I love everything that's happening right now. I don't believe in Elvis being alive, but this painting is fucked. Yeah, but my husband was alive. And he's the worst. (laughs) I love it. After three nights, there were pictures. Mm-mm. The last two pictures shown, so they put up the three pictures, they attached it to this listing, and she explains that the last two pictures shown are from that stakeout. After seeing the boy seemingly exit the painting under threat, we decided the painting has to go. Please judge for yourself. Ugh. And then there goes on, there's like a whole disclaimer for anybody that buys it that they don't have any, li- like, they're not liable for any injuries, any, like, oh my God. gun smoke, any blood, anything, you know, if the children come out and kill them, like, they're not liable for it. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so I did not look up any of these extra pictures. I do not care about well, them. I'm should... just picturing them. You can look them up and no, you can No, we should describe them. what it looks like. Well, yeah, exactly. I have that on okay, here. Cool. I just did not look it up. And you I'm can find them. You can find, yeah. Or now. I might right now. You can now if you want. So the last two pictures, what it looks like is that the doll, so it's like a doll and a boy. So it looks like two little kids, but the it's a young boy and like I think a doll it's standing in front. Supposed to be two kids. Well, but it's a doll. Okay. Yeah, yeah, her face is really weird. Yeah, it's um a little girl doll, and they're standing in front of this window, and there's like hands, just hands behind the. It's like a French door. It's like yep. a big like window door with all the. I don't want to say they're panes of glass. It's just those like little partitions. Like, yeah, kind of like my door. You guys can't see my door, but my door looks like that. <laughs> and behind that door, there's a bunch of just disembodied, grasping hands. Yes. Um. So in the last two pictures that were taken during his like stakeout, like the little motion triggered camera that he right. took, uh, the doll came to life and was holding a gun in her hand. Gross. Forcing the boy to leave the painting. Actually, I even wrote gross after. I think, <laughs> I think I've seen the gun picture. Yeah. So, um, I, that's just so creepy. Like that little girl being like, there's a child crawling out of my painting. And they just left it in her room, taking pictures of it. Ew. Horrible parenting. I mean, the, the little girl or little doll. I mean, like, because for all intents and purposes, I guess she does look like a giant doll. She has, mm-hmm. like, her arms are segmented into joints and her face is, like, weird. But she's holding something. Do you talk about what she's holding? No. 
I didn't. They didn't talk about it. It's like a canister, like a metal canister with wires coming out of the top. Oh, okay. I kind of talk about okay, that. Good, okay, good. Because it's very curious looking. I'm like trying to look at it while you're telling the, it. So actually, okay. the painter of it will just what he thinks that that is. Well, yeah. I mean, I hope he knows considering he painted it. Well, I think, is that the, oh, okay. You're not looking at like the, the other, like their picture that they took. No, I'm just looking at like okay. what comes up when you oh, Google it. I'm sorry, continue. I'm I'm just That's trying okay. to like get some imagery in there so we can. So, um, the eBay listing was reviewed more than thirty thousand times. Yeah, it would uh, be. Some viewers reported experiencing supernatural occurrences after merely visiting the listing. Some said they became ill, had blackout mind control experiences heard um, an exorcism-type voice, Mm -mm. and overall just general feelings of badness. Mm -hmm. The painting was finally sold to a gallery owner, Kim Smith, for $1,025. She had been reported saying that nothing interesting or supernatural has happened since owning the painting. So, but, like, right after she bought it, she decided to contact Bill Stoneham, um, who is the painter, yeah. and tell him about how she acquired it and the unusual story surrounding it. She was like, he's probably going to be pretty interested in this. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Bill was quite surprised by the story. The painting was inspired by both his wife's poem, which was called The Hands Resist Him, Mm-mm. and a photo his parents had taken of him at five years old playing with his next-door neighbor who was a little girl. His wife's poem was about his life and how he was adopted, and when he read it, he was immediately reminded of that photo and began working on a painting. Cool. Bill explains that the glass door is a representation of the dividing line between the waking world and the world of fantasy and impossibilities, while the doll is a guide that will escort the boy through it. The hands represent alternate lives or possibilities. He had no idea that this painting would be the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> How could he not? It's so terrifying it's looking. It's so creepy. It's yeah. very unsettling. Yeah. Um, so I he I found somewhere that because he was adopted, he was like, he always thought like what other possibilities he could have had for his life. He grew up kind of poor. Okay. And, you know, he wondered like if he, you know, if he had either stayed with his parents or if he mm-hmm. got different parents and just all, you know, all these different thoughts that he had. So that was one of the things, like the hands could have been anything. They could have been other people coming to give him a different life. They could mm-hmm. be ghosts. They could be just hands. Like they, you know, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. So oh, that so was his idea for the painting. So there's the picture of him and his neighbor. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we'll put that in our photo suite. And it is, it is not as terrifying as the painting. No. But it is. It is not unterrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Put it that way. Mm-hmm. But he does it, He does say that the little girl in the painting is, it, is a doll. Oh, well, yeah, she, yeah. I've noticed the jointed arms and legs that I yeah. hadn't before. So Kim Smith also shows him the photos that were attached in the eBay listing. According to Bill, the object presumed by the eBay sellers to be a gun is actually nothing more than a dry cell battery and a tangle of wires. Oh, so that's okay. Yeah. What a giant battery. Yeah. I don't know why what she's holding. It's like cylindrical. There's a close up on it. It's like it's like a bomb. It does look like a bomb. <laughs> it's like cylindrical and it has wires coming out of the top. Yeah. It's like clearly metal. You know what she know. reminds me of? We may show our, show our generational gap here. Did you watch the show Small Wonder? No. Where like the girl was a robot. 
I don't think so. Okay. Anybody, any old people like me who remember that? I think her name was Vicky. She wore like a white, a, a, a red and white polka dot dress and she was like a girl, but she was a robot. Hmm. I don't, I don't quite remember. Well, it reminds me of that a little bit. Anyway. All right. So now Bill does not necessarily dismiss the haunted nature of his paintings. He is mostly just stating that this was not the intent of what he was Right, but it sure did get a lot of attention. It did, yeah. Um, He does wonder if there is some misfortune attached to his painting, though. Uh, Stoneham recalls that both the owner of the gallery in which the painting was first displayed and the art critic who reviewed it died within one year of coming into contact with the painting. Oh, yikes. Um, However, the owner... Uh, who was actor John Marley, most notable as the movie producer in The Godfather. He was the guy that woke up in the bed with, like, the horse head. Oh, my God. Um, he made no—he he bought it right after the art showing. Okay. Um, and he made—there was no mention. There's, like, no history of him ever saying that this painting was haunted. Anything weird happened um, while he owned it. But he did die about a decade later, and then the painting was taken in by that brewery where, like— the couple had found it outside we're gonna go to wherever it lives Mm -hmm. on our field trips um so and then you know discarded for like who knows what reason so there's a lot of extra history that nobody really knows about it okay so okay yeah had a life we don't know about yeah interesting Mm -hmm. and where is it located again now um it's in that uh the art studio i will find the name for you where are we going on our field trip on our our (laughs) it's in california well, I want to go there anyway, so cool. We'll visit it. Yeah. <laughs> I will find the name of it while you continue. Okay. I don't remember exactly where. Uh, you know what? I don't know where the Warrens Museum is on the top of my head, which we should really, really go to. I'm good. Just kidding. <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> Come on. Connecticut. You should know oh. this. Leslie. Everything's in Connecticut. Well, I guess we have to go to Connecticut. You'll know people there. (laughs) So the gallery is um, the Fine Garden Gallery in Beverly Hills, California. Oh, we're going there. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Cool. And also we're going to go to Connecticut. Cool. I have a place to stay. (laughs) (laughs) See this painting on our tour of awful New England things, of which there are many. So many. (laughs) Yeah. And um, speaking of locations, I am going to bring us back to Key West to finish it out. Are you done? Are you done with this painting? I'm done. You're so done. You're ready to be done forever. Done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Open that reward cocktail. Mm. Oh, how is it? I want to know. Um, uh, it's good. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Curious. Yeah. It's not bad. You don't have to like it if you don't. We have other things. I don't hate it. You can switch up if you want. No, it's light. It's not okay. sweet. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can cut that, obviously. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't hate it. Okay. You don't like it either, though. So I don't know. <laughs> if you want to switch to another one, you are welcome to do so. Headache's coming. I'm just kidding. If you drank another one of those mojito things, your head would be exploding. Yeah. So lastly, we have my absolute favorite haunted object story. I love this story. I don't know what does what what about it does it for me, but I just really like it. Uh, this one actually makes the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. And not many things besides aliens do that for me. <laughs> 
I'm sure you could surmise from my retelling that I think some of Annabelle's story is pretty, like, inflated folklore. But something about Robert, and I'm talking about Robert the doll, um, just gives me pause. Perhaps it's his appearance, or maybe it is the queer and lonely circumstances that brought him to the world's attention. No. You know what? I think it's Robert's owner's obsessive love that really chills me to the core. The story isn't just about a doll. It's also about his owner, who just so happens to be a creepy kid. And we all know that if there's one thing that's worse than a creepy kid, it's a creepy kid and his enormous haunted doll. Ugh. Yet again, enormous dolls are never to be trusted. You gotta cut off that size limit or your doll is for sure haunted. Leslie hates it so much that she has injured herself. I have. <laughs> That's no good. Ugh. Robert's story takes us back, as I mentioned, to Key West, Florida, the home of Carl Tanzler and his terrifying enormous doll. Yay. <laughs> Full circle, baby. Was that episode one? It was. That was nice. our very first episode called Gross Love about Carl Tanzler. And if you haven't listened to it, please do. I love that story, too. Yes. Uh, Robert Eugene Otto, born in 1900, was the youngest son of Thomas and Mitty Otto. Minnie, sorry, in case I allergied my way through that. Um, Robert, who went by Jean, which is obviously a shortened version of his middle name, lives in a large house at 534 Eaton Street in Key West with his affluent, well-traveled parents and his three siblings. Jean was offered every luxury a child could want, and yet he didn't seem to have many playmates. He was observed as sort of a lonely child. And I, as the youngest, like, everybody was, like, a little older. And I, I think he probably felt a bit left behind. So around the time Jean would have been turning about seven years old, this story is pretty hazy with dates. So the closest I could surmise is around then. His grandfather bought him a friend. You see, his grandfather had been tra- traveling in Germany when he saw a, a grand display in a store window. The display was of dolls who were roughly the size of little boys and designed to look like playful jesters. Jean's grandfather knew his littlest grandchild would love one of those dolls. And even though they were not meant to be sold as toys, he was able to convince the shop to sell him one. The doll was made by the famous German stuffed toy company Steiff. I did not look up pronunciations on that. I think it's Steiff. Um, They made the very first teddy bear. Oh, fun. The doll is 40 inches tall and stuffed with a type of wood wool known as Excelsior. Yes. Do you love that? I I knew you would. (laughs) I'm going to hold on to that, this story. Right? The doll did not come dressed in his now famous sailor suit. As I mentioned earlier, he was intended to be a jester. The sailor suit was added when Jean's grandfather returned home. You see, it had belonged to Jean himself. And there are photos of him dressed in it as a child. Damn. I know. Jean's grandfather thought the sailor suit made the doll look more like a little companion, and after dressing him in it, presented the lavish gift to Jean. Jean immediately fell in love with the doll, giving it his own formal first name, Robert. (laughs) Just like a little gentleman. (laughs) He is, and I'm going to give you guys like a little bit of a verbal description. A lot of you will probably know what he looks like, and I will provide pictures, but this is like a, like I said, a 40-inch tall doll with the proportions of a child. But it's, it's like stuffed and it almost looks like it's microfiber that's its skin, like that, like couch material or like a, like a suede. And it has this like 
oddly simple looking face. Its eyes are just like two black, giant black dots. It has like a little button nose and like a hint of a mouth. Its hair is like fuzzy, almost blonde colored. Its hands are like mitten shaped. Its feet are like just booty shaped. They don't have like any kind of definition. And it's wearing a very um, elaborate, like beautiful Victorian looking sailor suit, which there are photos, as I mentioned, of Jean in, and I will post that picture as well. And it's very unsettling to see it like on a living child and then on the doll. I think Leslie's looking up pictures of him because her face is horrified. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have it like sitting in a little chair. Just That's how this guy kept him, which I, I know. And he always has like a little puppy, like that little stuffed puppy, which I'll mention later. Like it looks like a little shaved Pomeranian. It does. He just like <laughs> always had it. I don't, I don't know. Okay. So that's okay. that's Robert. Um, Jean and Robert became inseparable. Jean had other stuffed toys, so Robert had to have his own as well. He can be seen to this day with a little stuffed dog, as we just mentioned. Jean played endlessly with Robert and slept with him in a little chair beside his bed at night. He could often be heard carrying on lively conversations with Robert behind closed doors at all hours of the day and night. Robert even had his own place at the dinner table. As Jean had insisted, his mother set a place for him right next to him every single night. Cool. Right. Having dinner. Creepy doll. Hanging out. Good times. At first, the family thought it was cute, and it is to start. Comfort toys and imaginary friends are common with children, and Robert seemed to be both. Jean's family was happy to indulge his friendship with Robert until things began to get strange. Jean suddenly began to act up. He had always been a quiet and obedient child, and now he had become loud and mischievous. Anytime he was caught misbehaving, Jean would tell his parents that Robert did it. It would seem that Robert broke a great many things and became excellent at doing things that upset Jean's brothers and sisters. It was obvious that Jean was causing these disturbances and blaming the doll so as not to get in trouble. Like, that's what, of course, that's what his parents thought. And that's what anybody would think. Oh, he's just going like, he did it. Not me. I'd be like, it was the doll. Let's get it out of here. Exactly. Well, that's what he was saying. It was was blaming everything (laughs) on the doll. This began to gravely upset Gene. No one believed his innocence, and he could not understand why, nor could he prove it to anyone. What was once playful sounds had become loud and violent arguments between Gene and Robert behind closed doors. At night, he could be heard whispering harshly in his bedroom. Finally, one night, long after he had supposedly gone to bed, Jean awoke and began to scream and cry in a panic. His mother ran to Jean's bedroom and found him cowering in the corner of his bed, staring at Robert the doll in an abject terror. Jean's mother wanted to destroy the doll, but Jean was beside himself with the thought of it, so they compromised with putting Robert in the attic. No. I know. Robert did not like the attic. No. Overnight, there could be heard scuffling and footsteps in the attic. An eerie, high-pitched giggle was said to emanate from the attic door. I know, that's terrible. Servants that came to work for the autos after that would all claim to hear the same shuffling footsteps in the attic, and neighborhood school children would claim to see Robert gazing at them from the attic window as they hurried off to school. Oh, gross. I know. Gene went on to become a prominent artist and a married man. When Gene moved his things from his parents' house to the home he purchased with his wife, Robert came along. Why? Because he, like, went up in the attic to get his things and found him. He's like, oh, my beloved childhood doll. I'm going to take him with me. No. Yeah. 
Jean remembered Robert fondly and set him out on display in his home. Robert did not care for Jean's wife, however, as she frequently witnessed him moving across the room and would hear the sound of tiny footsteps and giggling all throughout the house whenever Jean was at work. It's like a little Chucky doll. Yeah, that is exactly what this Uh. is. Robert was once again packed away. I don't know. Are we done yet? (laughs) No, we're almost done. Okay. Jean designed the gallery at the Fort East Martello Museum and had plans to make his home a museum complete with a wax imprint of, quote, the artist's hands as a focal point. Though this dream was never realized, his home became known as, quote, the artist's house, and stories of the doll's strange behavior became commonplace with those who encountered him after Jean's death in 1974. Um, And I should also mention as, like, a little footnote— in life, before he had to pack Robert away, Gene used to, like, put him in the window to look outside. So, again, like, people would see him move from his window. So okay. that's a very common Robert the Doll thing. Um, after Gene's death in 1974, tenants heard footsteps in the attic room above them. A plumber heard giggling and turned to find the doll had moved across the room in his own. <sighs> Solaris Hill reporter Malcolm Ross visited Robert and said, quote, It was like a metal bar running down my back. At first... When we walked through the door, the look on his face was like a little boy being punished. It was as if he was asking himself, who are these people in my room and what are they going to do to me? No, 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 no. <laughs> Ross's friends told him Robert's backstory and pointed out the children's furniture. It was at this point Malcolm noticed a change in the doll's expression as if he were following the conversation. Uh. One of the men made a comment about what an old fool Gene Otto must have been. Robert's expression uh. turned to one of disdain. I know, right? Don't talk about Jean. No. Quote, there was some kind of intelligence there. The doll was listening to us. I know. Oh, my God. I'm I'm nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) Robert the doll's a scary one. Myrtle Reuter purchased the otter. What was her name? I can't speak. Myrtle Reuter purchased the Otto home in 1974. That's just after Jean's death. She became Robert's companion and kept him when she moved to Von Feister Street six years later. I don't like that term at all. Companion? companion. (laughs) I know, it's awful, right? In 1994, she donated Robert to the Fort East Martello Museum, claiming, quote, he moved around her house on his own and was haunted. I know. Myrtle died a few months later, but Robert remained active. Museum staff noticed a shift of energies at the East Martello Museum. Though Robert was not initially on display, he started receiving visitors as word spread about his new residence. Once he was put on exhibit, cameras and electronic devices malfunctioned in his presence, and soon letters began arriving addressed to the doll offering apologies for disrespectful behavior or asking forgiveness. If you, um, if you go see him, Robert the doll sits inside a glass case, and like lining the wall around him, like the little exhibit are apology letters from people who came to see him and tried to like take selfies that were disrespectful or said things that he didn't like and then bad things befell them and so they had to apologize. <laughs> Just be cool, people. What the fuck? <laughs> Leslie's having a terrible this time with this. Or why? Why provoke? <laughs> I wish I had known that the scariest thing in the world to you was a doll. I would have done that for half a week. Well, it's fucking possessed. <laughs> I know it's shit. very scary. Um, as I mentioned, Robert sits in a glass case, but it doesn't seem to stop him from inflicting fear and discomfort to museum staff and visitors. Why would it? It's just glass. I know, right? You can see right through it. (sighs) 
Staff members report that Robert's facial expression changes, hearing demonic giggling, and have even seen Robert put his hands up to the glass. No! (laughs) (laughs) His little mitten hands on the glass. It's so gross. And, And I should also mention that at this point, I mean, he's not in great shape. He's real old. Oh, he's like holes in him. Yeah, he has oh. like he's like begun to kind of like I don't want to say rot. That's not the right word. Just kind of like break down. Yeah. So like his hands, you can see like the inside of the stuffing, and he's like face looks kind of pockmarked with just places where it's just breaking down. It's just old material, and it's breaking down. Yeah, he does not have a skin a good skincare regimen. He does not. His Excelsior is showing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can still meet Robert. At the East Martello Museum, but please use your manners and be on your best behavior. If you upset Robert, you might just end up paying for it with your life. And I'll be pissed. (laughs) Leslie will be so mad at you. (laughs) And that is Robert the Doll. If you liked that story, there is a really great episode of Lore about him and of the Lore television show. If you would like to see in live action what Robert might have looked like. It's on Amazon Prime. It's great. I don't mind advertising for it because I think Aaron Mankey's a genius. Um, But yeah, if you want to see Robert in action, you can watch it. There's, I feel like there's like the TV show is a little more like fleshed out with the story and stuff, but it's worth it. It's a fun watch. No. Leslie will never watch it, but you guys can if you like, if you so choose. If you do not, you don't have to. We're going to provide pictures of every single one of these things because this was a very visual episode. I did not anticipate that. I should have. Well, I'll post the photo suite tomorrow. Okay. So today is Sunday. Which is yesterday. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. Oh, shit. We posted them yesterday, so just go look at it, guys. Yeah, so we gave you plenty of time to see them before you listen to this. So I don't even know why we were explaining them. God, it's so hard to think (laughs) in the future. (laughs) Time traveling is tough, Leslie. (laughs) So those are all our cursed objects. That was a fun one. Leslie hates it. She's going to have a thousand nightmares. I should have had you come over to my house to record this. I do not want to drive home. (laughs) Then we wouldn't have Maribel. Yeah, that would have been fine. Then we wouldn't have had Maribel. Uh, <laughs> I love to say the same thing and make it mean two different things. Oh, good. So we have toasts now. Oh, God, I do forgot. we have four? We do. I even reminded you before we started. I was we like, did. remember, we have to toast. I want to toast anybody. Let's, let's, okay, well, we got to go back in time. <laughs> yeah, okay. Who are we going to toast with the Dybbuk box? All right, the Dybbuk box, I will toast, I'll toast the granddaughter who okay. knew just to get rid of that shit. <laughs> and the grandmother who fled the Holocaust. Oh, well, yeah. So good for her. All right, cool. <laughs> Cheers to the ladies <laughs> in that story and not the good ghost provoker or whatever, yes. whatever they're called. <laughs> I can't. To Post Malone who got <gasps> To Post Malone. <laughs> yep, that's the one. I can't make a cheer sound. Let me see if no. I can try again. Hold on. Nice. Those yours was better. Was All right. Um, how about in your raggedy Annabelle? Annabelle? <laughs> Ooh. Um, I'm gonna hmm. I'm gonna toast Lorraine Warren because she's an icon. Cool. <laughs> Did you burp? As I no, told you, you were I never just, allowed to do. I didn't burp. That was just a awful sigh. Ooh. Uh she was just she was involved in a lot of things. Yeah. She's an icon. So All right, Lorraine. Cheers. 
<laughs> I swear to God, you guys, I'm hitting a glass with a pencil. I'm trying to make a clinky sound. Wait, I have another one. Yeah. The next one might might have a better sound. All right. Um. Oh, what did I talk about? The painting. The painting. Please um, be the eBay poster. <laughs> <laughs> my husband. My husband. Yeah. Oh my god, I loved her so much. <laughs> Why would you think this is a good eBay post? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, to her and the daughter whose parents wouldn't take the picture out of her room. Oh, God. <laughs> that poor okay. girl had to, like, go through that for a couple more nights in a row. Oh, shit. That happens in every story. They're like, this is scary. Better keep it. What? Yeah. Let's see if it does it again. I don't. No, don't. Just get it out of there. Put it in the garage. You're done. Horrible. So cheers right. to them. Cheers. Can we repeat that like ten yeah. times? Well, we have another cheers. Okay. Uh, last one would be the Robert the Doll story. Oh, God. Everyone sucks in that story. <laughs> Everyone's great, you mean. Don't offend him. <laughs> oh. Sorry. To, well, Ro- to Robert those, the Doll. <laughs> those people that were talking bad about him and Gene. We hate him. Yeah. Worst. I'm gonna. T- I'm gonna. Toast. I guess to Robert then. Yeah, we have to. We have no choice. And to Gene because he was a great owner. Mm-hmm. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie's having a superstitious migraine breakdown right Ooh. now. <laughs> All right, and we have a new Patreon. Yes, we have a, a new, new patron. We have a new patron. <laughs> That's right. Um, to our friend Dory. For supporting us. I love Dory. She's great. Just she's, keep swimming. Yes. And she's been very active in our, our group and in our messaging like since the very beginning. And um, she's had suggestions for us. And she's just like a great supporter. So thank you so much, Dory. We really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, those campfire stories are coming at you. Yes. <laughs> and, and whatever. And our <laughs> demonic, <laughs> demonic awareness ribbon. Yes. Just wait. You'll get it. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I want one so bad for my coat this week. And we'll fall. always wear it when we're, like, doing, like, little group activities. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Demonic support ribbons are, like, our call sign now. Everybody has to wear one. That's how we, whenever, when we go to the Mutter Museum, we need to. <laughs> Everybody has to wear them. Yeah, we'll just tell them. Um, <laughs> Our group has the weird ribbons on. We don't want to explain why. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Or we double want to explain why. Maybe they'll be into it. Yeah. You never know. So, so that was Cursed Objects. <sighs> I hope you guys liked it, and I hope you all come and uh, support us over on Patreon and leave us some really nice reviews. And if we stumbled upon a cursed object and forgot to mind our manners, we, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. I could be talking about a killer who ate live baby sandwiches every Friday night on YouTube for the better part of a year, and some people would still reserve their horror for the moment in his childhood where he kicked a puppy.